Hey guys, welcome to the Physio Plus Fitness Podcast with me, Chris Lendrum and Glenn Robbins as your hosts. As always, we've got a really interesting guest today to talk about all things triathlon. So Craig Coyle is um, a sports therapist and he works with triathletes and actually is a triathlete himself and does triathlons at Hemel Tri Club. So we're going to pick his brains tonight all about things triathlon in terms of injuries, um, training for that or you know training for that if you've got pain and, and discomfort and those sorts of things but yeah just firstly welcome to the podcast Greg it's going to be good, a good chat bit of a tongue twister straight off the bat there Lenny but thank you very much my absolute <laughs> pleasure uh, to be here tonight um, so yeah looking forward to getting stuck into it so what did you how did you get into triathlon yourself I sort of fell into it really I've been a, a runner since since I was at school and kind of the classic started to pick up injury and injuries, especially as I got towards sort of late twenties, early thirties. And, um, just kind of a natural progression. I, um, I moved to a, um, to over towards Hemel Hempstead here and found a local club and that, that was it really. I was off, off to the races in, in more ways than one. Um, did you, so did you swim um, and cycle before as well, or was it just a case of, Right, you know, because obviously a lot of runners will do will run and then they'll do races or they'll do five k's, ten k's, build up to other you know more longer distances. What what made you interested in the triathlon versus just carrying on with running? Yeah, so from the cycling standpoint, I was uh, a bit of a novice, um, but it was literally just a case of getting um, down to my local Halfords with all the naivety that comes with that. If anyone who's remotely interested in cycling will know. Uh, picking up your first bike and, and and just getting getting out there and and starting to feel it, and very quickly you realise that hold on now I don't think this bike is right for what I want to do. So you're on the upgrades and suddenly you know you're committed to it and and you know you 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 start to in kind of immerse yourself in it in the same way you do running. So you know you're interested in how far am I going? What's my elevation? You know like how, how can I piece together this in a program? So um, the parallels are there to kind of lure you in. What about the swimming? The swimming was, I guess, was a little bit different because uh, as much as I enjoy swimming in the pool, you know, it's a totally different beast once you get out there in the open water. Um, but in actual fact, um, once I had uh, attended a few kind of coach sessions with the club and I had um, kind of exposed myself to the uh, differences, I found that I was probably more suited to open water swimming than I was in the pool. Okay, cool. Why was, was that, Craig? What would be the reason for that? Yeah. So initially, my technique was uh, found wanting. I was actually interesting listening to um, the uh, foot and ankle surgeon that you had on uh, a, free, a few episodes ago, and, and he was talking about a similar kind of thing where um, you, you know your technique really gets exposed, and, and actually having a few sessions where I could try and tidy that up meant that I could just be a lot more consistent through the water. And actually, fact, when I was swimming in the pool, like I didn't, that never really got highlighted when you're stopping and turning all the time or fighting traffic, as you often are in local community pools and things. So um, it really wasn't an eye opener in that sense. Mm. And then, and obviously, you know, the podcast today is really more around that injury side of things. So what, what got you um, into kind of, I suppose, if you're at the club, were you just getting asked questions and then just started to see a lot more sort of triathletes in terms of injury, their injuries and things or? Yeah, I think, I think that by the club's own admission, there wasn't a huge 
investment or understanding in how to manage injuries or, or, or any necessarily anyone that would they directly go to to, um, to to have those kind of open and frank conversations. And it might only be just two or three minutes at the side of the track where you might just pop your question, you know, that kind of like pre-contemplation phase of like, oh, let me just ask this. Um, there wasn't really anything like that in place. So it was a bit of a... Um, um, blessing for my part, like to sort of come on board at the stage I did. And I was able mm. to just answer a few basic questions. There was nothing um, particularly scientific or um, particularly guided at that point. It was just kind of anecdotal conversations and it, and it went from there. Mm. And then obviously in terms of injury, you know, injuries in triathlon. So what other what are the common things that you see? What are the kind of common, um, you know, what are the injury rates in triathlon, et cetera? Yeah, yeah. So it probably, again, sort of listening to the old back catalogue here, it's probably no surprise to hear that running accounts for the majority of triathlon-related injuries. Uh, yeah, you're going to see the odd shoulder, uh, pinchy shoulder from from the pool or um, maybe the odd SIJ from, from coming off the bike or whatever, but the majority of it is running-related um and specifically overuse injuries i think on the paper i saw published um only a few months ago is somewhere between any up to 70 percent to 65 to 70 percent is accounts running related injuries um so that is the the vast majority that that i see um but i think the differentiation from just pure runners and triathletes is you have to in your assessment and, and especially your subjective is really get a handle on how that really is represented through their, through them to their training and through their load, because you might have someone who presents with an Achilles tendinopathy, but in actual fact, they're only running once a week um, and they're on the bike three or four times. And so it that really is the, you got to really understand your athlete in front of you. It sounds cliche, but it's so true um, mm. to, to really, kind of understand how to what what approach you're going to take and do you do you find that um with those running related injuries you you get like what do you see the most of is it kind of your your classic achilles anterior anterior knee pain or what's the what in triathletes specifically what's the most common thing that you see yeah there's probably no single single pathology that that, that sticks out like a sore thumb see um certainly achilles um mid portion achilles and uh see a lot of soft tissue stuff in around uh gastroc and and soleus um knee yeah knee, knee anterior knee pfp especially um is is probably the one of the most common and, and a lot of lateral hip as well would probably be make up the top three mm -hmm. um especially more on the female side okay and then what's the what are the sort of risk factors for overuse injuries in triathletes like what are the things that you as a physio or the therapist what are the things you need to be looking out for um for from that side of things yeah so i was i was kind of digging around on this because a lot of the information that i gathered here is anecdotal and just just my experience i can't necessarily back up in in data but we really kind of break down um the major risk factors that I see one is certainly the lack of understanding in terms of load management. What does that mean? Uh, how does that actually play out? 
Um, and I'm not just talking about the training, I'm talking about, you know, encompassing whatever may be going on in someone's life and how much stress they're under, et cetera, and really kind of accepting what load is and what load means, but ultimately for athletes that are doing high volumes of, of training compared to, you know, uh, um, you know, a field sport or athlete or a um, mixed martial artist we've got here. Um, so I, I think when you're doing high volumes of, in, in terms of time, that becomes probably more of a factor than, than, than most. Um, and with that comes sort of a lack of real sort of good education on how to, how to manage injuries. Um, when I first started seeing a lot of the athletes, they, I was seeing a lot of repeat injuries um, coming back in with, with the same things. Um, and ultimately, there wasn't a lot of good resources out online. Uh, and generally, I, I'm talking about stuff that's pitched for patients or athletes, not therapists. Um, and just get used to ask just the most basic questions like, um, you know, should I be stretching every day? Um, should I just be strapping this up every day? Like, um, I've been taking ibuprofen for the last three weeks, like just basic things that you kind of expect people to know. And we're all sat here smiling, but in actual fact, like people just, a lot of athletes just sort of weren't understanding of those things. Um, and I guess the last thing, just to, to wrap up your, um, your question there is, um, kind of the whole biopsychosocial side, um, I think plays a, a massive, a massive role in, 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 in injuries, um, in terms of their beliefs when, when an athlete should return after an injury, um, the kind of environment that they are operating in. Most triathletes are, if they you know, have a full-time job and a couple of kids and they're trying to smash out 50K bikes in an evening, it's like, uh, I've got to get home and cook the dinner and, and whatever else. It's, it's difficult. So those are the kind of three broad um, factors beyond biomechanical stuff that i that i see mm. i mean that, that's what i find fascinating about triathletes actually craig be great to dig a bit deeper into it with you is uh, i mean because i've got a specialty in runners and a lot of the time i'll encourage runners to cross train and there is some evidence that if you get a runner you know that's running four times a week or five times a week and you get them to switch it out for a bike ride once or twice that you can reduce their injury risk by as much as 30 percent. you know so it's beneficial but when you're looking at um, triathletes as a as a sport, they're not just trying to switch out one session. They're trying to they're trying to develop each discipline independently of each other. So there's a lot more volume involved there, isn't there? They're trying to have a a cycling protocol running alongside a running protocol, running alongside a, um, a swimming protocol, and we haven't even sort of mentioned strength training. So you know that gets banded around all the time that strength training reduces the risk of overuse injuries, but if they're already training six, seven days a week, multiple times a day, that's probably not going to be as, as effective as we might think, because you're just adding more load into a overloaded system, isn't it? So I find, yeah. I find that kind of fascinating about triathletes as a, uh, you know, triathlons as a sport, because it's almost like free sports that you're training simultaneously. So I'd love to hear more on that as well, like how you balance out their programs in terms of training days, volume, et cetera. Yeah, it's, I guess it's quite unique in that in that sense, isn't it? I never stopped and thought of it like that. Um, there probably isn't too many other sports where you can kind of draw that comparison. Um, the one thing you didn't mention there, of course, is brick sessions. Um, if we're familiar with brick sessions, which is essentially pinning two of the three disciplines together in okay. one session. 
with those and, transitions from like bike to running and stuff like that. And right, yeah, and 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 swim to bike. So, um, and that in itself might require, you know, um, its own kind of planning and and um, factoring into your program, especially when it comes to the recovery from that as well. Um, I should know. I've got one tomorrow morning in my plan. But I think, um, in, to to your to your point to your question about how how do you go about structuring this, um, the point at which they're sat in front of me is usually when they're either returning from an injury or have just got injured. Um, and for me, my starting point is right. What was your volume before this happened? You know, what races have we got in the diary? Oh, you've got a race in six weeks. Can we work backwards from here? Um, and if you kind of get a handle on their level of experience and competence in that one discipline, then you can start to piece together the, um, the different aspects that you need to, to build it back up. So to give an example of that, um, I had a runner predominantly and that was just transitioning to triathlon and, um, and to do his first full Ironman in, and this guy, um, was a fast marathon runner. He was a sort of a 230, 240 marathon runner. Um, he comes in with anterior knee pain and he's actually not that experienced on the bike. So I said, right, show me your plan. And he had a coach that he'd hired off training peaks. If you guys are familiar. Um, and it was stacked with various different running intervals and tempo runs. This is before he got injured, let alone what to come. Okay. I was like, right, why are we focusing here on all of this running, given your level of experience? Older oh, coach needs to build up my cardio. Um, so from that standpoint, I think we just have to kind of really understand the athlete that sat in front of you, understand where their um, expertise are, where, where are the holes in the system, um, and, and build it up from there. So for him, um, we sw swapped out two of his uh, interval runs that were going to build up his cardio um, and switched them onto the bike um, okay. and then added did one swim session a week. Um, yeah, because so the, bike, the bike can make a massive difference, can't it, in terms of like their overall times? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that is where you make up your time, ultimately. <laughs> you know, you're dealing in very, depending on the distance, very minute differences um with the swim and the run yeah like and elite it, swimmers they probably only get out the pool what 10 minutes before the next one or whatever whereas the elite cyclists are, can be a couple of hours right it's like it's quite interesting yeah. when you yeah 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 um so yeah i think it's just getting a good subjective really um making sure your your, your assessment is good and then then you can start to build up the, the, the program from there is there what? a template? So if you had like a, a someone that was totally well, like no injuries, no um, no previous injuries in the last 12 months or something, is say I was wanting to do a, a, a full distance triathlon, is there like a kind of set suggestion that you should spend this amount of time running, this amount of time cycling, this amount of time swimming, or do you just completely depend on the athlete in front of you and where their weaknesses are and where their strengths are? I just want to take a quick break in the podcast to thank our sponsors, Compex. 
Complex is a company that produces exceptional injury recovery tools. Our favorite, with myself and Glenn, is the electrical stimulation machine. And both Glenn and myself use Complex with rehab patients, particularly post-op patients, to speed up recovery, increase muscle strength, and help with pain as well post-op. Um, if you'd like to check out the units or any other rehab tools from Compex, simply go across to www.compex.com and use the promo code HSPHYSIO for 20% off any products that you buy from them. Now back to the show. You can probably go on Training Peaks and pay three figures for that, Glenn, if you want to template. <laughs> uh, here you go. Here's your first triathlon. Go enjoy yourself. Um, no, for me, like, I, I, I'm just all over, all interested in... Um, getting a, a good subjective and understanding that person, what else is going on in their life and in terms of their commitments, um, understanding their level of experience. Have they done any running before? Have they done any swimming before? Do they need to get a coach? Um, and, and there's your starting point. Um, I, I deliberately run off no templates. Um, for, for that on, on that, I totally, totally get that, um, Craig. And it's obviously it's the, that, best way to do it there's no question about that but if you say you <clears throat> i'm going to give you a hypothetical person now but say you've got a person who essentially is pretty pretty a beginner level with all of those disciplines so with running the swimming with cycling that they're not they haven't got a particular level of experience with any of those things they've maybe done a you know they've done a few 5ks or they've done a little bit of running but nothing major and they just decide right we're going to get fit and to do that i really want to try triathlon I've, I've you know i've had a look some friends have done it whatever it might be and it's like yeah let's have a go and um, is there is there a starting point where you'll you'll say okay well you know it's three disciplines therefore we, we're going to start off with you know a session of each a week two sessions of each a week is it like because one of them is more challenging you might do more of that to start with and then feed other stuff in so like is there a kind of what you know a sort of thought process in terms of how you might go about that for a kind of a beginner who's not necessarily better at any one discipline if that makes sense yeah yeah um so i i think you would probably be looking at um referring out to a um either a personal trainer or a triathlon specific coach in, in that scenario for someone that's totally new um they're probably on the swimming front they're probably going to need some technique work um, even if you sign up to the to the shortest of short triathlons, you're probably looking at four or five hundred meters swim, um, which okay you can muddle through. But if you're going to do this, then come on, you might as well um, spend your spend your pennies wisely in this in this day and age and, and get yourself some some assistance with the technique. Um, the cycling, um, I would like them just to be able to achieve a, a bit of a base. So as if you were building up in in any other um cardiovascular based disciplines or whether it's rowing or running you're a, a decent base at zone two and um and build the the mileage in the legs uh, and and similar for running actually if someone is is deconditioned to that task um i would want to kind of expose them to um some zone two basic stuff until they can build up to the distance that they need let's say it's 5k um so i don't really see any if you're looking for structure, then I don't see anything wrong with a couch to 5k plan to something similar, to be honest. Mm. Um, and then but, just to lastly close off on that, once the individual is a degree of competency in all three disciplines, then we'd start to pin together the bricks mm -hmm. of the two disciplines together, not before. 
that was going to be my next question actually so where, when would you start getting them to uh, do those transition sessions and how often like for yourself like you're a triathlete and uh, how often are you doing those brick sessions out in a in a week like how often would you train those do you, have, do you have to do them multiple times a week or do you do them every few weeks to kind of see where you're at or is it something that you have to yeah I, ask the next person and and you know you'll get totally different opinions on this and there's no real guided um decent decent data on this as to uh, what works best it is a very individualized thing but um i would say that i at the minute i'm working in three week cycles with a one week adaption week and in that three week cycle i will do two brick sessions where i'll give myself two days recovery afterwards okay um, so a lot of it comes to time as well right like like it, 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 we're not full-time athletes unfortunately yeah. so we have like life yeah. work well, business we are kids. we are up here but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so tomorrow... i always remember i always remember a chap who he's a he was a sub three hour marathon runner actually like fast fast marathon runner and um he signed up for an iron man and um he um did all pretty much all of his cycling because it was through the winter and he was he was like quite a busy guy he used to do like free spinning classes back to back and stuff like that like he used to go down the the sports space in hemel and do like multiple spinning classes and he'd have change of top where he'd just change the top out where he's sweating and he'd, i mean unsurprisingly the it, the cycling was the toughest part for him in the um actual iron man and he didn't he he didn't do as well in that as in comparison to the swimming and the running but it was just purely a time thing that he could he would just dedicate that time to cycling in the in the gym and again i think he was you know adding on a run at the end of the last spin so that he could brick them together like that but um yeah you know he worked in london busy guy kids that sort of stuff so that was how he kind of factored it in but i'm sure as a i'm sure a coach probably wouldn't have suggested that and it's probably not an ideal way of preparing for an outdoor iron man but yeah. No, coach probably should have been stood at the door of the of the spinning class and said no stop get, get outside <laughs> on the bike but um yeah I, I think in terms just lastly on the bricks is that like for example tomorrow um it's my first brick session of of the current cycle um we're gonna lose ourselves in our language here uh, of the first micro cycle that i'm doing um and i will start with just a 10 minutes let's just understand here that i'm just doing 10 minutes off the bike um and just running at tempo pace for that 10 minutes and just get used to that just feel um how my legs are coming off the bike and nothing more and then the next session after that uh i will aim for something around three or four k and then the last one i will try and run tempo 5k and then back to the back to the start okay and then do you, what's your um, weekly, and again, obviously, as as we've said throughout, it's going to be different, different people and stuff, but what's like a typical um, triathlon, like weekly volume for most people? Like, obviously, you're going to have very differing degrees, but there must be kind of an average that people will do in terms of number of sessions. Or it's a very no. tri tricky question to answer, Lenny, because you if you've got um an, a triathlete if you consider a triathlete doing an ironman distance where they're sure. racing potentially for 14 15 hours 
versus someone doing your example earlier of, of a, a novice who's never done any of the disciplines before doing 400 meter swim. If you can imagine there alone, the, di- the varying differences in training volume is, is yeah. huge. It's huge, really. Um, so it really depends on the distance um, that you, you, of the race that you're going for. Um, and that's going to shape a lot of your the type of training that you're doing. So, for example, if you're doing sprint distance, which is 750-meter swim, a 20K bike, and a 5K run, you're clearly going to focus all of your effort into more interval-based stuff, um, getting up into doing more sort of zone four stuff um, and practicing your transitions because they're going to become more vital than in an Ironman where you're just looking to drag that transition out for as long as possible. Um, so it really depends on the um, on, on, on the distance that you're doing. Um, yeah. But for me at the moment, just to, to give an example, um, I am on roughly six to seven hours a, at this, a week at the moment. Mm-hmm. And that's split up into what for you at the moment? Uh, it's split between one swim a week. Um, so I'm in the lake for probably 35, 40 minutes, depending on how far I go, either one and a half kilometers, ballpark. Um, and then on the bike, I'm at two cycles um, a week on the bike. Um, one long, one short. The course that I'm doing for my um, half Ironman is quite hilly. So one of the, the short cycle, I'm just focusing on some hill reps. I'm quite blessed, if, if you can call it that, to have a lot of hills around local where I live. So I'm just up and down for maybe 45 minutes um, on, on a more intense session. And then a longer ride a week where I'm more going through adaptions to be able to be just being comfortable in the saddle for you know, three plus hours. Um, so that's the cycling and then the running. And I'm just coming off having actually done um, the London marathon. So my running volume has dropped a little bit at the moment, but approximately an hour a week. And so you're probably looking at about three hours in the bike, an hour run, an hour in the pool, and then an hour strength training. There's a nice segue. Yeah, absolutely. So what's your, uh, what's your view on strength training? Obviously you do it, so you must be a fan of it, but you know, for, there's probably plenty of triathletes and I've treated so many endurance athletes over the years who just do bugger all in terms of strength training. So what's your, what's your thought on, on strength training? It's a slog sometimes, isn't it? I don't know if it's just this demographic that we're talking about here today or um, maybe in others as well. But um, personally, I'm, at the moment, I'm just in kind of a maintenance phase where I just kind of take care of the movement patterns and areas where I maybe um, just try and get out of the same um, patterns that I'm in. So, for example, like I just do a lot of frontal plane stuff, do a lot of um, rotational movements just to not be in that sagittal plane all the time and that's kind of an ethos that i try to take with me and the people that i see and treat as well um you kind of take the typical triathlete who's just trying to do a few bits and pieces in there at home or whatever home workouts and you know everything's in the sagittal plane everything's loading through um uh, the quads and the lower back and you just oh okay and here we are sat here in this room so um for me i in season shall we say, between May and September when the, uh, the British triathlon season runs. Uh, I just run a maintenance program once a week. 
um, where I'm focused mostly on the on the mobility side. I'm, I'm focusing on a tiny bit of uh, strength maintenance just to hit my requisites um, and some low level plyometrics. Out of season, um, so sort of typically the autumn time, um, I will then move into more of a, uh, a heavier, slow, heavy phase um, just to kind of reset the, the, the body a little bit. And um, that'll be typically three months, usually up till Christmas, where I'll go slow and heavy um, on, my, on my squat and my uh, hip thrust. Um, and I will then go a little bit more explosive with the, with the plyometric work, which I keep in uh, regardless. Is that still once a week or do you increase the frequency in the three month period? Two to three a week. Three a week. Okay. Two to three a week. Yeah. yeah. Do you, is it all like compound movements? Do you do lower body and upper body or are you just kind of focused on, I suppose with triathlon then upper body would be still be quite important, right? For swimming and for the, you know, for the other bits or do you, how do you sort of program? Obviously you mentioned squats and hip thrusts, but do you do accessory lifts, big lifts? Like what sorts of things do you do? So for me personally, yes, compound. Um, I am pretty sort of genetically, naturally uh, kind of stiff and struggle with my, my mobility stuff. So I, I spend a fair chunk of time with that. And then I always do a compound lift in at least two of the sessions a week. Um, that'll be followed by, yeah, accessory work. Um, and then usually the final stage will be low-level plyometrics leading into um more progressive explosive ones mm -hmm. and what about <clears throat> with your patients do you follow a similar um protocol or do you do something different for them so patients is usually li uh, led by and driven by what whatever injury that's usually sat in front of me that's um the, the reason that, that they're there and it's quite often they'll come and say well i've got this injury i'm actually maybe i'm managing it okay but i need a bit of guidance on how to develop, how to develop from here and where to take it from there. So, um, and this is really what it comes down to your assessment. So in my assessment, I'm always looking for kind of what stage on the continuum are they at? So if it's an Achilles tendinopathy, well, can they tolerate 20 single leg calf raises? Um, what happens when we bend the knee and load into slayers? Um, can they tolerate that eccentrically? Okay. Can they now, um, progressively hop across the floor um, with requisite neuromuscular control and, and from there kind of shape that shapes my program rather than non-specific exercise mm -hmm. um, the only exception would that be is if I've got someone in front of me who is pretty well deconditioned um, in which case I might set them a generic program that I've just talked about but otherwise I'm going to be quite specific with what I'm doing yeah and going back to the sort of types of injuries obviously we're we've talked to as you say we've done a previous podcast on running and stuff on on the show um but we've not talked a lot about swimming and cycling so what are the kind of classic things you would see from that side of things in terms of injuries with swimming and cycling as opposed to or how does it differ from the running uh, so if we start with cycling injuries i think they're generally broadly classified as trauma and non-trauma right so most of the injuries I see do correlate with the data in that they mostly are lower back slash SIG. Um, and you quite often will see in non-traumatic cycling related injuries, um, 
a lot of them that which were quite hard to replicate in any other plane in any other way. But as soon as you stick them on the bike, um, you can see it straight away. And, and classically, you'll see maybe just a slight hip drop on one side and, and not the other, or you'll see them come up onto the pedals um, and they'll just be loading through one segment of the lower back. Um, so they typically have like a very low um, hip, low hinge uh, at some point in the lumbar. Um, and then you get them to stand on, up on, the, on their pedals on the bike and you just see them like load straight into that straight away. I was like, is, is that where your pain is? Yeah, all right, okay. Um, so <clears throat> typically uh, it's just trying to raise awareness apart from anything else with that. It's just like, look, here's a photo of you, kind of similar to you know doing a running assessment. Here's a photo of you. Here's a video of you on your bike. Here's the position you are in. Um, do we need to be in this position? Why are we getting you in this position? Um, and it just, I think, you know, to go back to our to our risk factors as why people are getting engine triathlon, it's just education and raising awareness because people have this, have this power, have this information, they can go correct it themselves without intervening with any particular treatment modality. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that, that's cycling. I've always been fascinated with the cycling side of it because I'm, I'm, I know very little about, um, you know, bike setups and bike fits and stuff like that. And a lot of the triathletes I see will start discussing now they go, you know, miles away to this specific guy that's, you know, recommended for bike fits. And um, I suppose I've got a two or threefold question really for you, Craig. One is like, how important is a bike fit? And then second is, um, do these guys tend to have a template really for like what's best for performance in terms of like making them more aerodynamic, for example, as opposed to tailoring the bike fit to the individual in terms of trying to offload a painful or injured structure. So like the bike, the back you mentioned, for example, I've had lots of clients where they're put in a position that's better, apparently better for performance where they're very low, but that's what's triggering their back. So for them, the bike fit actually bringing them up a little bit might be more beneficial for them, even though from a, from a performance, you know, stance, and I get this the same with runners. Um, there's sometimes a difference between that and injury management or, or prevention. I don't know if that, waffled on a bit or made sense but do you know do you know what i mean from that point yeah yeah we've got the gist it's like trying to tell a runner to wear a different pair of trainers that and they think it's not going to make them any quicker it's similar kind of thing i think i've got to be a little bit careful here that i don't drift too far into out of my scope here when it comes to um bike fitting and 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 dynamics on the bike because it's it's definitely not my um definitely not my field but I had a bike fit myself recently um, off, a, off a guy local and he was brilliant and he really enlightened me in, into a number of things which I just wouldn't have never considered for myself, mostly because I can't see myself. So, like, you know, like, and once you get that information and you know how you're sitting, how you're fitting, um, I think for most cases, a bike fit would be useful, um, especially if you're going past the 40K mark, if you're doing more than Olympic distance triathlon, or any cycling event for that matter. Um, I think as soon as you're going past um, an hour, hour, hour and a half on, a, on the bike, you've got to be investing in, in making sure that you are comfortable and you're set up correctly. So um, would a good bike fit um, expert ask about injuries, ask about niggles, issues, and table yeah. that? Yeah, the guy I saw was a, um, a sports massage therapist, so there was some degree of interest and understanding of 
the impact that of what he was doing um, and, and just some awareness as opposed to, uh, I don't know, as just a coach who maybe doesn't have a uh, that kind of background. But um, I, I would expect that to be the case um, because it, yeah, it, is, it is really important. And to the second part of your question, um, I think there's probably going to be a few examples where you have a bike fit and you end up coming off worse in terms of performance or predisposal to injury. Is that what, what you were suggesting that? Yeah. Well, just sometimes they're separate, right? So sometimes to offload an injury, for example, it might not be an optimal, you know, position for yeah. performance potentially on a bike. I, that, that, that's in my, in my mind. Like if you had, if you had to design a, a, a kind of, avatar position for bike performance it might not fit with every injury that's that was all i was kind of yeah. wondering if people were like i'm trying to make you as fast as i can yeah. might not necessarily protect your lower back for example as well as I, I may if it's prone to a you know flexion-based injury yeah 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 i guess i guess that's right yeah i i, I can't i can't argue or deny that i think it's just about having a a frank conversation with your with your patient isn't it and just being like look there's a trade-off here uh, between performance and injury prevention. How are we going to solve this? Um, how how can we come up with a strategy where we can get you on the training and you can get you to race day in uh, peak performance, but you're not going to be, you know, complaining about your your lower back because this is the reality. So I think it's just about knowing your athlete and and, and dealing with it that way. Yeah, I guess that that trade-off, um, the the conversation then comes around to. Because I think, yeah, you're right, Len. Like the position that you're in may, in may not be best for performance. But I guess you just have to ask that person whether they are bothered by that. Like, are they, you know, you can obviously take longer to, you can go for optimal position for performance with a view that, okay, we're going to take a bit longer to actually get to a race. We're going to sort out your lower back so you can get into that performance position. And then, you know, but might take a bit longer. Or if you've got a race that's going to be actually sooner, you might need to just um, compromise on that position for the short term with a bike fit and actually not be in the perfect position while you do the race that you want to do. And then after that, then we can work on the back fit, you know, get the back back to a position where you then have got the mobility, strength, etc., to be in that position. And then obviously then you can go for the performance. That's the way I would sort of look at it. Obviously I'm not an expert in that side of things, but I think to me that would make sense in terms of that conversation you'd have with the patient around that. I think the biggest challenge you're always going to have there is getting, getting your patient out of the saddle. Yeah. And yeah. then being honest with you about it. Can you always, you always kind of remember certain patients don't you? And I had a, a young guy, um, very high level cyclist he wasn't a triathlete he was a cyclist he was trying out for team gb and he had a hip arthroscopy and um obviously hip flexion is irritable in that instance and uh, he was actually probably one of my quickest um clients to recover for after that surgery and get back up to that kind of level but i do remember liaising through him with a member of the team that were doing his bike um fitting if you like and they did a graded like lowering of him over the period of time. So they, they had him doing his, his training in a more upright position. And as he tolerated that, they gradually dropped him down more and more. But the end target was very, very definite that he was going to end up in 
in a certain position by the time he got to do his time trials. And and he did, you know, in, in that kind of graded way, he did end up there. And uh, that's one of the more interesting kind of rehabs I've done with a an elite level guy with that sort of time frame with a very specific surgery that is, um, you know, is affected by increasing in hip flexion, which was part of what his team was doing. But um, yeah, I mean, generally they have, I would say they have very low injury rates in the cycling side of it in comparison to the other disciplines. Yeah, what about what about swimming, Craig? Swimming, so <clears throat> I think there's just been a uh, there's just been a paper produced actually, of course, in Australia, um, stating that ninety percent of swimmers between thirteen and twenty five complain of shoulder pain at some point. <laughs> just I thought was staggering. Uh, I know we're talking about adolescence there, but like ninety percent, right? Um, and, and again, they were talking about the biggest you know, risk factor there, just being just being load exposure at, from a young age, like you're just doing so much volume. Um, and so my experience, I would suggest, correlates with that in that most swimming-related injuries are, um, are, are shoulder-based, are usually subacromial um, or, or, or bursitis in some way. Um, and... They generally that the battle there is always well. It's a bit of a thing here, isn't it? It's always just keeping out of the pool, um, or keeping them out of the lake. Um, can can we get your training in another way? Is breaststroke an option? Um, and and trying to attack it from that way. So it's always just having that trying to build that rapport, that relationship to be able to have those frank conversations, uh, which really needs to be done from the start, from the first day you meet them, because. I think really have one stab at that. And if you don't get it on the first time, you're always on a bit of an uphill struggle. Yeah. And I think one of the things that often is a big thing, and you mentioned it already, is like, is that training with pain, like people not wanting to not train, basically. So this is one of the biggest questions I have as a a therapist working with um, athletes and working with like, you know, people in the gym and, you know, weekend warriors, which is probably the majority of the people I see in terms of like you know can i train with pain can i run with pain can i swim with pain so what's your thought process on that craig in terms of you know what do you tell people about that when do you allow people to get back into training when they've had pain during discipline you know etc so uh, taking someone's desired choice of of exercise away from them it should be stated is is never is never what I want to do, and I'm sure that you know you guys would say the same. You don't want to tell what someone, hey, time for you to stop running. Um, like it's just not something unless you're that sadistic, you know, like you just don't want to be doing that. So it always an absolute last resort is trying to find a way around it. Um, and so I kind of always want to say, right, okay, what is the discipline that is going to irritate us the most here with this injury? You've got this anterior knee pain, can you swim? Yes. Um, can you cycle? Probably. Can you run? Right. Well, if I run on the track, um, it tends to irritate me a lot more than if I go off on a trail run. Right. Okay. And what happens when you run downhill? Is there any difference there between when you run uphill? Yes. Right. Okay. So it's just trying to find different ways that we can offload the local tissues um, in some way and to just manipulate our variables, whether it's intensity the gradient, uh, the type of shoes they're wearing, or indeed the uh, terrain. And 
if you can kind of like understand um, what we know about the injury. So, for example, if we've got um, a chronic instability on an ankle, um, probably going to keep him off trail running. Uh, if we've got a highly acute uh, Achilles that's like prone to flare-ups, probably keep him off a track. Um, if we've got someone that has, I don't know, a bony stress injury, probably don't want to running on the treadmill all the time, and that's kind of repetitive impact at the same point. So it's just trying to find different ways we can have um, still maintain the discipline that, that that person wants to do and all the benefits they get from it aside from the physical um, because most people are quite openly talk about how um, the various triathlon disciplines will uh, are kind of like the, the pillars of their, their mental health um, mm. and now kind of keep some in some form or another their their ability to keep going um is are there a t- is there a time when you will stop them from like you know acute phases or because obviously you, I, yeah i totally i think that's a really really good point in terms of working your way around it making sure that you and i'm the same i don't i i very rarely kind of stop people entirely from training um it's always kind of working around it but i suppose there are people for example who you know it's it's painful immediately when they run of any description. So then how do you, you know, are you stopping those people from running? And then when do you get them back into running, if that makes sense? Yeah. Well, if someone's telling you it's painful immediately when they're running and they still want to run, it's probably a different conversation to have with them. Yeah. Um, but if that, if that really is the case, I kind of really want to understand what their motives are. Like, what is it about running that, or, you know, this particular running? Have you got a race that's upcoming? Mm-hmm. Have you got um, something here that's like means you've got to get out of the house? Like, what is it that let, let's really you know, get to the nitty gritty of this here and understand why it is that you you need to keep running? Um, but it, you know, it's go back to the example of anterior knee pain. If if someone really is um, insistent that they run and you know maybe it's you know glenn you were talking about on the last podcast about someone with a a chronic pfp you know it it flares up intermittently they're going to keep running it's very difficult to manage um and and i agree with you like an acl probably is going to be much easier than than these type of patients um but if they're absolutely insistent on running then i'll be kind of wanted to play around with their footwear choices um, can we can we get an, an orthotic in that trainer just to to prop them up and, get, and absorb a little bit more of the impact? What are their trainer choices in in the first instance? Um, how what is their running load a week? Can we in any way just manipulate that? So if they are running five k a week, can we chop that up into smaller pieces? Do more interval based. Um, just trying to really get to know your your patient to understand right we can break this down, we can keep going, but we're going to have to make some sacrifices somewhere. Yeah, and I think I absolutely do the same thing. And also I think it's really helpful using the, the kind of barometer of, of the old classic physio four out of 10. Like I think because you, you can kind of give them that marker that it's like, yeah, okay, you're okay to run, but you, these are my stipulations. You need to be underneath the four out of 10. Like if you're over that four out of 10, then you need to either reduce the volume, reduce the, you know, the amount you're doing reduce the speed um and then that way you're it's it's almost like you're not taking running away from them but you're just saying there are these few caveats in terms of what you need to think about i think that usually goes down quite well in terms of okay he's not telling me i can't run it i just need to make sure the intensity of the pain i'm getting is not 
that high when I'm doing it and it's not gradually increasing as I do it as well. And there's no massive flare up the next day. Um, I think that using those little sort of yardsticks of, of what you should be experiencing or what you're trying to avoid experiencing. And then obviously doing all the things you said, I think the way that I tend mm. to find it is quite helpful. I think that latency affects a really important point as well. A lot of clients won't put two and two together. So they'll, uh, they'll come in and say, oh, I, I don't know. Some It's fine when I train. It's it's worse when I don't. And they won't actually see that the days they're doing the heavy sessions, it's actually flaring up 24 hours later. And they they need you to kind of sometimes piece that together for them, isn't it? Say, well, it's not that much of a mystery every time you do your, your hill runs, you're kind of limping around for two days after that. It's, um, but, you know, it's amazing. And the amount of people that don't attribute those two together. I felt great when I was running. I felt great when I was doing it. And it's not that I'm almost kind of convincing themselves they need to run more. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whenever I rest, it's sore. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you, Craig, cause we, we, we kind of breezed over the swimming a little bit. Um, and this might be totally an anecdotal answer from yourself, but um, is there a difference in wetsuits? Like I, I was always kind of thinking in my mind that that resistance that you get from the wetsuit, is that a, increased risk factor for the shoulder pain in these in these guys in triathletes when they're training in lakes as opposed to pools and um also there's again i'm i'm not familiar i'm not a triathlete a triathlete but um i have heard them talk about changing their swimming technique where they use their legs less and use their arms more um to give their legs a rest while they're kind of in between the disciplines um is that a thing and is, and does that kind of increase the load through the through the shoulder potentially if they're practicing um that kind of technique never just one straightforward question glenn is it it's always it's like multi-layered five double, stage. Double whammy. <laughs> so certainly um certainly in the case of using or not using the legs is is definitely a thing and you'll see most triathletes again i gotta be a little bit careful i don't step out of my lane here but you'll see most triathletes adopt a slightly different technique certainly in the lower limb than you would see a pure swimmer use because, yeah, for the most part, um, we're, ju we're just looking to stay flat on the water and just use our feet to keep us buoyant and minimize drag so we can just be as efficient through the water as possible. Um, so for me, when I swim, I'm just looking to that, that small little um, in and out of plant reflection, little kick, as opposed to really kicking the big muscles in the, in the, in the hips and the, in the quads, which is, again, exactly what uh david gordon was talking about um in terms of the wetsuit that's a decent point um i'm going to pass on it i don't actually know but it would it would sit me well with me if we're talking about someone with uh, a chronic instability in the shoulder and then they they kind of have a particular wetsuit which may aid to stabilize them through the water and vice versa um actually if you have a um, particularly uh stiff shoulder so that that in theory in my mind makes sense that 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 could be a thing not that i've heard of though mm, interesting yeah. Yeah. i wonder if does the technique change much in a wetsuit versus not in a wetsuit would you say ah uh, for me yeah yeah in terms of what you're doing with your arms basically everything yeah so with a wetsuit okay. naturally you're going to be more buoyant you're going to have, not have to work as hard to keep yourself afloat um which is which is huge right because you're just not having to hold yourself up on the water which means you can just really focus all of your effort on your pull 
um, and just just gliding through the water as quickly as possible. Um, I would also add there that in, if you're comparing lake swimming and, and, and triathlon swimming with just swimming in a pool, of course, you have to be able to see where you're going as well. So you're always having to pop your head up and look what's going on in the distance as opposed to a swimming pool where you can just kind of glide along. Mm. Um, and then so that affects the technique. And then at the club where you work with the the well, where you you know where the club your club and the guys that you see, do you tend to sort of see them for their injuries and then pass them over to kind of coaches at the club, or how do you sort of integrate the kind of other side of things? Because look, you know we're a big fan of having teams um, in the podcast. We've talked about it endlessly about having good networks around. So how do you sort of transition them through that process? Yeah, I'm always looking to hand back for the, for the to the coach for sure. Um, so a typical example would be if I've got a, a runner come in with an Achilles tendinopathy and help him through the early stages, um, helping through the initial strength training um, and getting them back to maybe a month's worth of uh, running, a month's worth of training. Um, and at that point, I'm looking to pass back and, and let, the, let the coach take over um, yeah. because then that's really the training is going to be guided by their race by their own kind of personal preferences and what they want to do. Um, and, and that is going to be outside of my re remit and, and interest really to, to start thinking about programming for, you know, week by week, month by month. Mm. And then just to kind of, just to sort of wrap up really, I guess if you had to, to give, some therapists to start with i'm going to do a blend double whammy question but if you have to give first of all some therapists <laughs> some key kind of um take home points in terms of some advice if they had a triathlon come in what would that be and then also if you had to talk to a, a patient about what are the things you could do to maybe prevent or to limit the risk obviously you can never prevent injuries necessarily but to limit the risk of getting injured when sort of starting doing triathlon training what would you say the sort of key messages would be i guess is my question. Yeah, so yeah so for the therapist right don't be afraid to uh, just keep asking questions like take a really thorough subjective most triathletes when they sit down and you start asking them questions whether they're injured or not will just talk about their triathlon training and nothing else and quite often the answers to what the kind of things you might need is really useful don't lie within how often they're swimming a week and how how far they're going on their bike um it might be that they've got something you know going on at home or something related to the work or whatever so that i think it's really useful to uh, or that they've had you know a historical injury or surgery or something that they just wouldn't mention otherwise because they think you are only interested in their triathlon training so certainly be thorough with this objective um be thorough with your uh, assessment as well in terms of understanding how they move and why they move and, and looking at correlating that with their load um and then just really from there understanding what they what they're trying to get from 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 their session what what do they really want do they just want a few exercises do they want treatment do they want someone to rub them um and understand that and really really clear and that will really help to to kind of guide what what you do from there uh second part of your question do you mind repeating it just in terms of patients or people who are getting into triathlons, what are the sort of key 
things they can do to limit the chance of getting injured basically as i say you can't completely limit that or stop it but you can maybe reduce the risk so how how could people reduce the risk of getting injured uh, join a community like there's so many out there it doesn't necessarily have to be a face-to-face um, participation club every week but you know just online communities and um, there's stacks of them absolutely loads and yes of course you have to go in there with a slightly critical analytical eye and not just believe everything you read like anything but um, just get a feel for for what people do and 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 kind of just interact and absorb be a you know a sponge for information in that respect um don't be afraid to make mistakes be a second one because you know whether it's on the nutrition side or training volume or you've bought the wrong piece of equipment or you um, bought a, a bike that's too small or whatever like um, it, there's a lot of stuff to think about and a lot of stuff to buy. Um, and you're not going to get the best version of, of what you need the first time around. So just be prepared to make those mistakes. Um, and third and finally, just make, make sure you're enjoying it. Um, and that might sound like very cliche and an obvious thing to say, but do experience and see a lot of people in clinic who are like bogged down sometimes with the weight of the pressure and of, of doing certain volumes of training that they might've been set. Um, or um, think there is some inherent expectation that oh, I'm a triathlete now. I need to be spending every every evening doing one of the three disciplines. It's like just just make sure you're actually enjoying it and and, and doing it for all the right reasons. I think uh, that's such a such a great point. Like I see that with so many sports, especially when they start competing. So you know, most people take up a sport fitness interest fun whatever it may be and as soon as they start getting like decent at it or progressing at it and they start competing and some people love the competition they love the you know the the pressure and the focus it gives them and others it just kind of it can be sometimes a bit overwhelming and uh, and it's amazing the amount of different kinds of sports where you see somewhere along the line they've lost the enjoyment you know and they're just putting so much pressure on themselves does that happen with the with the events that you find or do they get more, do they tend to enjoy the events more or, or do they, they enjoy the training more or is it both can become problematic? It's such a wide, yeah, such a wide spectrum of things. Like sometimes in the clinic, you get some set in front of you and they're like, I've got this race in three weeks time. And I'm like, and, and you can see it in their face. Like it's only three weeks to race. Like, yeah, I, I should be bouncing. Like this is nearly here. Like, yeah. Uh, and, and it's just the weight and the, and the pressure of themselves more than anyone else. Mm. Um, and I think it, you know, obviously it's the nature of the beast, right? You're doing triathlon. It's an event based sport where you are waiting for that one big day, as opposed to, again, opposed to a field sport where you're playing every week um, or fighting every week, whatever it is you may be doing. Like with triathlon, it's usually uh, maybe three races in a season that you are kind of like aiming for. And with that becomes an in kind of inherent pressure to be like making sure everything is tip top ready for that for that day, um, making sure you're peaking at the right time, and throw an injury into the mix, and like injury timelines aren't going to wait for anyone. Like, but this race is happening, so it is difficult sometimes to to kind of manage that. Um, and so and that and you know just to kind of tie everything together to loop back to when I was talking about the risk factors and the biopsychosocial side and stuff and that plays in massively massively here because you're dealing with something that's time sensitive and you know they might have paid like triathlon races now you like most of them are more than three figures 
right? And you know, there's a big commitment, especially if you're traveling away somewhere, you got to stop overnight, whatever. And suddenly, mm. you know, you've got to like someone front of you with, you know, with an Achilles like three times the size it should be. You're like, well, now we've got a problem. So it is, it is difficult. It is difficult, but um, it's fun. Yeah, that that uh, make sure you enjoy it. I think that's a, a that's a key thing for me. I've I've got a love hate relationship with competing in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and stuff. Like it, you sort of enjoy the focus it gives you and the the pressure testing your 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 you know understanding of the sport. But and sometimes you look back and think, wow, that's like two months where I've just been stressing for yeah. <laughs> you know for a hobby at the end yeah. of the day. And yeah, um, yeah with my runners often I'll. Uh, you you know you get the guys that are like dead set on measuring everything you know they've got the watches mm. and the, the Strava and they're kind of and when they're recovering from injury there's an added stress on them that oh people are watching me and I'm not running very fast and all of the kind of added pressures that some of these um, wearable devices can bring and quite often I'll say turn all your stuff off and just go and enjoy your run Mm. Like, and and they kind of look shocked like what what do you mean don't measure it don't you know that that's like a foreign suggestion yeah. and a few of them come back and goes you know what just running i forgot how much i just enjoyed running yeah. you know without trying mm. to keep the pace yeah yeah um very similar um i went down for my first swim a couple of weeks ago in the lake and everyone, there's a few people from the club down there and they were talking about the swim and i and they were talking about their times and i said oh, i didn't even start my watch and I just felt like five heads swing my direction and the jaws just dropped. Like, you didn't start your watch. What? I, was like, I wasn't interested. I just wanted to acclimatize. It was 15, 14 degrees, whatever it was. I just wanted to experience that, get over that and move on. Um, so it is, that, is another, that is another really good point, actually, about wearable devices and the pros and cons. Maybe that's a whole other podcast. But um, it is tr- another tricky thing to manage. I was going to say about Strava, it's like the whole, yeah, it didn't, it's not on Strava, it didn't happen. The yeah. run didn't yeah. happen. So it's like people, can't yeah. Count that swim, all, Craig. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Swim doesn't yeah. count. But it's, you know, I've, I've, I've talked about this on a previous podcast, actually, where um, I've, it's so hard to not get sucked into it as well. Because I I run, is I do like running um, and then just fitness stuff just for fun. And I got into trail running. That's like kind of what thing that I enjoy. Um, and a lot of my running is like mental health and just to enjoy it. But you can't help but look at your times and think, oh, you know, it'd be good to be a bit faster and it'd be good to do this distance or do that distance. So I'm getting into like the long distances now. I've got a 50K ultra booked for the 10th of June. Um, which is going to be quite a chilled one. And then I've got another one in 15th of July in the Chilterns, um, which is 50K as well. And that's going to be more where I'm kind of going for a, a better time. But I think I quite like the longer events because you don't have as much of that pressure. And because it's trail, the, the times are never going to be... Like I was saying to someone, when you do that, my wife just did the marathon, actually. Um, and we've got a, we've got three kids, but one of them is 10 months old. So she, she's still breastfeeding and did the marathon, did under four hours. So she did really, really well. Um, but um, the marathon was, it's just like anyone that does it, the first question that you, you get asked, what time do you get? Like that's the first thing you get asked. Whereas a lot of these trail runs, it's kind of like, did you complete it? Like, did you get round? It's not necessarily like how fast you did it. It's like, oh, you did like did you do the you know did you do the ultra yeah i did the ultra i did the 50k like doesn't people don't really care if you actually got a good time or not it's just actually the achievement of getting round 
which appeals to me a lot more um, than the, the constant like worrying about what time you get in because it does get like that I think with road running that's why I find road running not quite as motivating for me than doing the trail stuff because I do find because I do find myself getting sucked in even though I'm someone that doesn't like to look at their watch like I got a um, Garmin because um, of the distance I wanted to track my distance um, but you do get sucked into the time like you start to look at it it's, it's crazy how much that plays a role and like you say when you're injured and if you're doing a triathlon and you and the other thing I think is you're going to have a PB so you're going to have a lot of these people who are doing those triathlons are going to have a time that they've done before and then if you're injured you're probably not going to get that time again and that the worry of that because it's like every race you want to do that bit better don't you so yeah it's a really tricky one is that why you switched to trail running just because of the pressure of the watch or um well, I'd never really done much running until, um, like, I played sport. Sport was my, like, field sport. So hockey was my, my the sport I played to sort of a high level when I was in my late teens and early 20s. Um, and then, yeah, so I was just sport, really. Um, I never really ran for running's sake until kind of lockdown. So, like, during lockdown, did a bit more running then. Um, just realised it was just great for the mental health side of things. Um, started to enjoy the longer runs as well like started to do long runs on Sundays um, really enjoy that mental health like for me I'd say around between sort of 8 and 12k I start to get this like just it literally feels like therapy for me for like you know so the first 8k I find can be quite tough and then for between like 8 to 10 and 20 I just feel incredible like it just feels absolutely amazing so i just love those longer runs usually gets hard towards the end because you i tend to on a sunday do kind of half marathon minimum um and then above so usually towards those last uk it can get a bit tough but um that middle section is just so addicting so i I think i just like started to love that that's the reason why i kind of like the trail stuff because it's longer outside like i quite like going up hills weirdly just because it hurts a little bit and um yeah i just think the uh the longer run that's but i do i do think that the you know because my wife does the road running stuff i'd occasionally do the odd 10k race or the odd you know the odd thing and um you do start to look at your times and i just like oh god this is stressing me out i'll go back to my my long slow <laughs> trail runs please anyway digressing no um, it's interesting to hear interesting to hear. And, and incidentally i'm the same on the bike um I've picked a, deliberately picked a hilly course for my seventy point three, um, and I, I really enjoy hills. Like, um, just love the challenge. What's the What's the goal with the seventy point three? Is it kind of have it, do, after talking about this time stuff? Do you have a time goal? What's your uh... no no very similar. Yeah, I totally relate to what you're saying. Like, just get me rounds, um, just get me rounds, and it's the first time I've done this distance, so mm. uh, I just be just be happy to cross the finish line and collapse in a heap, and then. Going to eat a Mars bar or something, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Is that is that your favourite discipline then, Craig, in terms of the mental, the mental health? Bar. <laughs> 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 oh, it's got to be a Twix, right? But yeah. <laughs> no, in terms of the disciplines, like, is that where you get your buzz from, like the hilly cycles, or uh, specifically for cycling? That is where, I, yes, that that's what I enjoy the most on the cycling aspect. Um, I find swimming generally just very relaxing, like just being down at the lake tonight, just like. As soon as you get in that water, like you know, you're just off on your own. 
Like no one's going to disturb you unless you get sort of whacked by someone else. But you know, no one's going to disturb you. Off you go. Um, you just be in your own space. Uh, the running is probably my strongest discipline, but also my biggest demon in that respect because, for exactly the reasons we were talking about, I cannot keep my eyes off that watch, and I'm tracking, 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 and and the psychology that comes with that, I find quite hard to balance. Mm. Um, whereas I just don't have that pressure with swimming or cycling. It's weird, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, uh, fascinating. I love hearing that side of it. We don't ask each other that enough, do we? Like, what do you enjoy out of that, and what do you get out of that? Yeah, it's always gonna. Yeah, yeah. But um, fascinating. Yeah. Well, look, I think we've um, we've taken up a lot of your time, Craig. So, but I want to thank you for for coming on. Did you have any other last questions to 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 ask, Craig? Glenn before we no 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 I've, I've really enjoyed that really enjoyed yeah. that so yeah, got my double barreled questions in enough I think for one night <laughs> yeah very <laughs> sticked off on his questionnaire exactly yeah <laughs> do you do you have if people wanted to get in touch with you Craig in terms of treatments or where, where are you located where are you based and do you have like a website or anything like that or social media and things that you do I am useless with social media I absolutely confess um I'm based in Hemel Hempstead, and so through the Hemel Physio website, I can be contacted. It's probably the most succinct way I can say that. Thank you for Craig for doing the podcast. Me and Glenn both really enjoyed our chat. If you guys are enjoying the podcast, please head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast and review and leave us a five-star review. It does really, really help out the podcast. Don't forget as well to head over to the Physio Plus Fitness YouTube channel for loads of video content if you're into that sort of thing. Thank you all for listening today and we will see you on the next one.